If you need help building your online presence with podcasts, live streams or recorded video, see how I could help at educationonfire.com forward slash media. That's educationonfire.com forward slash media. I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast and really great to be back with you again as always. Today I'm delighted to be chatting to Keith Nelson. Now Keith's academic foundations include a BA from Harvard, a PhD from Yale and stimulating experiences as a collaborative faculty member at Stanford, graduate faculty of New School for Social Research and the development psychology mecca called Penn State University. His teachings include courses on fostering creative breakthroughs. Now, Keith is an educational innovator, especially in the area of children's language, art and literacy. His book, called Breakthroughs, acknowledges the fact that everybody gets stuck sometimes. Now, maybe you've been stuck recently in some way, not making progress with a child, a project or a creative endeavour or even a community project. This is where his book, Breakthroughs, is there to inspire and to help. In short, fun chapters, you will explore a remarkable variety of ways that others have been really stuck and then found their way to break through, to leap forward. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Keith Nelson. Hi, Keith. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Creativity is something which is incredibly important to me, um, being a musician, but also I think in terms of how I relate to the world generally and knowing that creativity isn't just about doing art or the arts necessarily. It's about the way that we fit in the world, how we take our individual skills, understanding of people and, and make life be what we need it to be for our, our sort of individuality. So, yeah, thanks so much for being here, first of all. It's great to be here. Thank you for for hosting me, Mark. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. So why don't we start with what I guess what creativity means for you and, and then we can sort of sort of reverse engineer that into into the, the work that you've done and, and the studying, etc. Yeah, well, I think that uh, there are lots of definitions. But even just talking to you very briefly, I think we would strongly agree that there are so many different paths to creativity. It's very important for people to recognize that and not to think that, you know, you know, just the, the ballet or uh, uh, musicians or visual artists uh, are, you know, that's the arts and nobody else, you know, can do creative things. So regardless of what your path is, what your goals are, what, what you really want to spend time on, uh, there's a good chance that you can greatly enhance your creativity by exploring new paths, by meeting new people. And one of the things that uh, I stress in a book that I've written, uh, Breakthroughs, is that one of the best ways for anyone to increase their creativity over time is to explore widely, to get into some new activity. It could be an activity in nature, in sport, in music, in arts, and science and community involvement. But if you think about how are you going to expand the patterns in your brain so that the next time you walk into a room to work on your favorite key projects, are you going to be the same person? And if you can say, well, these new explorations that I've had, I don't know where they're going to really take me, but I am now a more aware person I have patterns that I might have picked up by observing birds or waves in the ocean that now can somehow come in. And the practice of that exploration and testing out whether, hey, can we look at it from a, a new, new way because we've got new patterns in our brain, when it begins to pay off, then that changes your expectation and your confidence. 
So one of the things about being creative over time is to build up a self-concept that trusts that you will discover new things, that you will create things that other people find very interesting and often very useful. And that's what uh, creative products and performances are about. So I think one of the things about creativity is the fact that so often what we want is a kind of this is the answer to a question I and mean, creativity mm. is like the uh, the other the other side of that and and that's hard for people because it's not something they can kind of check into very often because it's not sort of the way society certainly the way education is kind of set up these days right. so do you find sort of from the people that you sort of been working with and and, and sort of the stance the stance of your book is it that kind of when people need support for specific needs, they embrace the creativity because they start to take on that personalized learning and that kind of what they need to take the next step. Is it easier for people like that as opposed to people who are okay with the status quo and just sort of doing life in that sort of traditional sense, he says with sort of air quotes? Well, I, I, I think part of what you just said, I, I really relate to, which is uh, it's natural human tendency you know, out of the goodness of our heart and our uh, efforts to solve problems to try to come up with the best possible solution. Wouldn't it be great if we could immediately come up with the best solution? And it gets kind of worse because, you know, I've been a college professor and I've uh, done a lot of workshops with uh, teachers. So, you know, the things that I uh, try to uh, communicate and if I get too caught up in my ego and my expertise, then I'll think there's only one way to do a workshop on a particular topic that will engage people. But people are always different, you know? Uh, and if you don't have something built in so that you get feedback in a new interaction with people quite early in the interaction, then you're not going to be able to adjust what you do so that you get uptake of what you want to do. Well, and Anybody who's, you know, doing financial stuff or uh, political goals, uh, it doesn't matter what the field is, science, engineering, then if you think that a bunch of expert people, including yourself, are going to come together, put their heads together and make a great plan, then the risk is you're going to choose the best path the best plan that you come up with. And you may have a heck of a lot of experience and a lot of good ideas, but have you come up with the best plan? If you only put all your resources into the what you think is the best plan, then you're not gonna monitor. You're not gonna look over your own shoulder and say, well, wait a minute, is this really working as well as we thought it would? Is it working for everybody? Is it working in every context? If you're not asking those kinds of questions, then what happens, and this is in the book and it's in other people's writings and, and talks and so forth, is you can see a year wasted. You can see a decade wasted where something that people believe was going to be effective is absolutely not effective. And it's wasting time, it's wasting money, and it's wasting people's hopes, right? And I think also one thing that struck me there as you were talking is the fact that, of course, we're all moving in and ebbing and flowing as we go through. So, you know, the plan you thought was going to work, like you said, because it's the best plan I can come up with or the best plan we've come up with yeah. is for these people. And then there's another member of a team that comes in or the the, the yeah. circumstances in your community or the world <laughs> change and then it's not anymore. So you sort of getting into that. It needs to look a certain way because we've got control of it. I guess, and that's probably the crux of it, isn't it? Is creativity isn't about control; it's about allowing it to be to be what it is. And like, and I, yeah. I'm I'm, fa I'm fascinated what you said about the ego, because so often it kind of I've got the plan, and you're going to pay me the money, and we're going to do this, and it's going to work a certain way. Like, say, I've got all these credentials; I'm the person. Um, and it it takes a lot for people to not be in that mindset. Oh, oh, yes, absolutely, and. Uh again out of the goodness of our heart we want to do the right thing we want to do something that's powerful we want to do something that engages people so that they enjoy what they're doing and 
where they're achieving the goals that they want to. But boy, we put blinders on when we think that we we have come up with the best plan. And I like your comparison uh, of, oh, what's going on next door or, you know, in the next county or precinct or whatever. Is somebody else doing something quite different that's working at least as well or maybe even working better than ours? If we never venture out there to, to find those comparisons, then we have no basis for knowing whether what we're doing is the best plan. So one of the things that I like to, to really talk about is the convergence of many factors in a dynamic fashion. It's dynamic systems thinking from science and weather forecasting and many, many kinds of things, but it's dynamic systems thinking about how people behave and how they set goals and what kinds of feedback are they really trying to look at. If you put 100% of your budget into teaching reading to fifth grade kids who are behind in reading, and you choose the best plan that you can think of, um, and you have zero dollars and zero time for actively looking for careful monitoring of what's going on, then you have no new information. You don't have the information that you need to make appropriate dynamic adjustments. And sometimes all it takes is a small change in one or two factors. And now you actually have stuff that kids can't understand if you change their expectations, if you get them to relax, right? If you show them that other kids are really getting it and therefore they say, well, if he can do it, you know, I, I can probably do it. But we've seen fifth graders who can't read a single sentence. How do we know that? Because the schools didn't know that we went into. We tested them completely independently on sheets of paper with sentences they'd never seen before. They couldn't read a single word. They'd had five or six years of instruction and the best plans that people thought they had were in place and they were absolutely ineffective. We've seen the same thing for, for kids who are learning uh, language skills who've fallen behind. They're talking like three-year-olds when they're eight-year-olds. And people believe what they're doing is working. And sometimes it is. But you've got to monitor. You've got to look and find out. If you look early in a project, you have a chance of making dramatic changes, right? Uh, continuing to adjust the dynamics in every way you can come up with and over time, then you're likely to dramatically improve your overall effectiveness. Uh, it's a creative process, improving your overall effectiveness and improving the fit to particular individuals, to particular kids in a classroom, to particular groups in a community who are trying to do collaborative work and achieve things for social justice or for reducing the impact of global warming or whatever it may be. Um, and because human beings are so complicated and situations are so complicated in other ways, if you don't go in with an active set of strategies to observe carefully, adjust, observe carefully, adjust, observe carefully, creatively experiment with what's working, compare different, you know, new things you try, then you, you know, it's like steering a car. You can keep moving in the right direction, even though you didn't know what you were going to really, what you were going to end up doing that's creatively effective. It, it's so dynamic and it's so, it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying when you realize that working with other people, you've come up with something that really does engage heavily and does lead to much better outcomes. And I guess that's the that's the difference, isn't it? Is the fact that it's seeing that it's also multifaceted. So like you say, you know, here's the money, here's the project, we're going to teach fifth grade to do X. But actually what you're looking to do is to is to support the fifth grade to do multiple things of which this is part of it and and, and i guess a little bit like you know we, we can design a car and it's going to go really 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 fast and we might even test how fast it's going 
what we didn't think was the fact that we could only do it once because we hadn't remembered we need to refill it with fuel or we need to do something <laughs> else <laughs> you know right, because yeah. you didn't have the other person going but it's not just yeah. about doing this one thing because actually this is going to have a knock-on effect with what else we need to do we need to refill the car in order to be able to do another run you know we need to make sure that like you said we need to get some feedback and to understand what people are learning in order to know what's working and what isn't working and also mm. the the range of that because what is working for say 50 percent of the children is it necessarily working for the other 50 percent? so do we get rid of the initial idea or do we change that to support other children who are struggling in different ways and like i say that's going to morph and gets more and more personalized depending on the needs i guess yeah well precisely and it's easy to feel overwhelmed in the presence of complex dynamics right uh and one of the things that we've done when we uh, train teachers to work with us in a new way. We, we teach new strategies and we do the best job we can of really training them to approach things in a new way to make sure that they include challenges that are specific for individual children and engagement, really getting positive engagement, positive expectation, reducing anxiety. Are they really getting those kinds of things? Well, we hope every teacher we train <laughs> We'll be great at it. But you know what? We're not always the best trainer. They're not always the best at uptake. And so we take videotapes to check on what we've achieved. And we find, wow, you know, uh, teacher Kathy in this room is dynamite. Oh my God, the kids love it. And they're, they're just learning like crazy and their confidence keeps going up and you get these positive cascades. That's what you want in dynamic processes and creative experiments. You want to get a success that leads to more positive emotion, more positive expectation, uh, working harder, right? You know, persistence and effort. And over time, you get a positive snowball, but it can go the other direction. And so uh, anytime that we can find the clear-mindedness and the resources where we get some independent assessment is what we want to see going on in this situation in terms of challenges, emotional adjustment to individual uh, persons, groups. Is it, is it really working? And are we willing to then act on the feedback we get? If the feedback says it's working for nobody, <laughs> that's going to be hard to accept. But if, let's accept it soon on, you know, and borrow ideas, borrow people, take kids out in nature or something, change the context, right? That's, you know, that's another way in which uh, in the book Breakthroughs, we, we talk about how if you want to open up your mind to new pathways, new things to try, it might seem paradoxical, but you go explore a bunch in nature and put Put that other stuff behind, the things you're worried about, the things you're trying to do. You go out and let the heron flying over you or the heron catching a fish, you know, or the fox racing as a red fox across the green grass in a way you never imagined such a beautiful thing ever happening. And it just happened for you. Um, and then when you, if you spend 10% of your week on that kind of new activity, that brings you alive and puts new patterns into your head, then whatever your key goals for the next week or the next month, there's a good chance that you'll bring fresh perspective, fresh emotion, fresh, fresh confidence that it's worth experimentally trying new things, trying new creative experiments. And I think, the thing that people will really identify with that is the kind of this person is struggling to read like say if we go back to that fifth grade person can they read this sentence no they can't so we're going to ask them to do it for an extra hour a day so that they can <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and, and it, ha it's, it certainly happens here well you know they're failing in math so we're just going to do even more maths and 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 it it just seems like a no-brainer but like you say until people and i think until people experiment and experience 
the fact that those things that you said, getting out, changing the dynamic, experiencing things in a different way, the answers come and, and the understanding comes and it just changes the dynamic of everything, as you've explained so sort of eloquently so far. And I think that's it's such a such an important thing and something which we really don't necessarily do. And it's not exactly the same, but certainly one of the things that certainly happens to me when I'm teaching um especially some of the younger children sort of drums and percussion as i as i do in a couple of schools uh-huh. is the fact that they get to the point where it's we've got something new and we've been through this system you know the slow repetition understanding what we're doing all of that kind of stuff and they're persevering and they're doing brilliant things and then they hit the wall of kind of oh this isn't getting any better and i say trust me leave it go away come back if you were practicing on your own you know it's harder to do it in a lesson but the same thing we're going to leave it a break i often chat to them about what they've been up to what they're what's happening in their life this week or whatever and you come back to it and they do it straight away and they're like oh and i was like you didn't become a better musician in the last five minutes you've just allowed everything just to kind of settle sink in and then you've just done it so the doing less as opposed to doing more is something which is something i do find absolutely fascinating yeah well, um, I also find on the personal level that my love of art led me off in some directions that it turned to really pay off in terms of my own thinking and my own way of merging new patterns. I just decided I loved modern art so much that I took a class along with a bunch of undergraduates. So there's, you know, this uh, professor mixed in with all these young kids, you know, in a studio class. And I happen to have an instructor who's everything that you and I are talking about in a way. He looked at me as an individual. He found ways of encouraging me and inspiring me. He uh, turned out to be an abstract painter himself. And so he grabbed me by the arm and literally pulled me into his office. And he had racks of very, you know, well-organized paintings of his own. So he'd pull out this painting and he'd say, look at that, Keith. And he'd pull out this other painting and say, look at this, Keith. And he'd give me a a book about a particular artist, right? So how do you become more creative in a field that you haven't been in? Well, explore a lot of different people who are doing stuff and have at least a few people who are your mentors, who know what they're talking about, who know how to do complex music or art or scientific experiments and so forth, and who love to share it, and who have the communication skills to see who you are and what you've taken in so far. And therefore, okay, well, you know, what would be something that would really be a good thing to nibble on for you now, right? It's like, you know, feeding the parrot or, you know, whatever, you know, just the right thing at the right time. And and in all your experience in terms of, of teaching and and workshops and all of that kind of thing, do you find that people have a preconceived idea of, like you say, what it's gonna be with this person with this, you know, professional background and expertise? what they perceive it's going to be which i would imagine is like 360 compared to the reality based on what you've explained so far and and, and what the reality is oh my goodness yes you know uh if you have a bunch of experienced kindergarten or in you know in the preschool programs head start in in our country and they've gotten together and they know they have some university professors coming in (laughs) <laughs> with ideas, maybe. Uh, there's going to be a lot of skepticism. And of course, there should be skepticism, partly because of what I you know, said just a few minutes ago. If, if, if we trust that we're so expert that we know the right way and, and just listen to us and you do it and you know, everything is going to be you know, just great and it's going to happen real soon. Um, so if we don't find a way, like my art teacher of finding out where people are, engaging them first. And in every single kind of situation where we would like to see change, perhaps dramatic change, because it's really a tough problem, then it's gotta begin with human engagement. 
It's got to begin with people discovering how to work and learn from each other. And if we withhold challenges in math, say for a kid who's really struggled with math and they just know, okay, here's a, another opportunity for somebody to make me feel stupid because I haven't been learning it all along, right? Instead, it's another of those situations where if you nurture it, you spend the time, you say, this is not wasted time to spend half of a, you know, uh, an hour teaching session or more getting the engagement, getting the acceptance of you as a person who cares and, you know, enjoys spending time with you. There are there's studies on videotape of people who tried to get their fifth graders who are reading like kindergarten kids, hardly reading at all. Uh, so tutors are hired, which sounds like, well, sure, okay, is what's working so far? Is it working? That's a good first step. But which tutor for which kid? It turns out that some of the tutors, you know, can tutor a kid for six months and make hardly any progress. And there are other tutors who have different characteristics in their style of tutoring, who can take a kid through five years of math in four months. When that happens, you know it wasn't the kid's brain. <laughs> it wasn't the kid's brain. It's easy to conclude that. Why would a kid be so far behind if there isn't something wrong with their brain? Boy, if you buy into that conclusion, you're going to be very doubtful yourself. You're not going to have any high uh, expectations and you're not going to creatively experiment. The ones who, the tutors, on the basis of careful research, who really achieve these years of progress in just a few months, are ones who laugh with the kids, who uh, kid around with the kids. They have lots of humor. They ask the kid what they're interested in. They uh, tie the math into whatever the kid is interested in. Airplanes, dinosaurs, girls, whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, it's not magic. You know, we all, when we are not doing something well, become nervous, we become skeptical. And if it happens again and again, and people really want us to do something, then you get this negative cascade, right? And you have to stop that and start building up human engagement along with high challenges, right? So it's possible to have high challenges and fun and, you know, positive emotion. It's just, it, it takes some experimenting and it takes confidence that you can play around and achieve something serious. And I think what I always find a really sort of positive takeaway from that point of view is it sounds so hard <laughs> in so many ways if you're if you feel like you are stuck and you are able not to, mm. to make that change. <clears throat> but, but when we sort of bring this back into focus from what you said earlier about, you know, I don't necessarily have all the answers. We're a team. We're going to morph. We're going to do everything we can to make this work. Then all of a sudden, you have more faith in that process that it will emerge whatever that is you know so it, it's fine the majority of what i need to do in a classroom setting is going to work in a way which we think is positive like i say you can that, that's another arguable statement but it, if in that sort of traditional sense that's the way schooling is set up but i also know that within our team within our school or, or within our sort of learning environment that there are a group of children that are going to need more specific and specialist kind of understanding and we can make that work as well, whether, like I say, whether it's a, a tutor which helps them support, whether it's some slightly different class sizes, different focuses, whatever, you know, you're, you're often restricted within your circumstances, but you'll find a way that's going to work for everybody in that way. And that there becomes, like I say, a positive kind of um, snowball effect, because I don't know what the answer is, but we'll find it and we'll be able to help and it, it will get there, as opposed to, I'm completely stuck. I don't know where I'm going and what I'm trying to do, um, yeah, and, sure. and it's, it's it's such an important such an important thing. And in in terms of your kind of 
your work life <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is, is, is it is how, how does the sort of the essence of what you're talking about here kind of look in in terms of being a professor like say the workshops the writing because it's obviously the common thread which is coming across but i guess the way it's been delivered and and shared is to get as many people as possible to kind of really embrace this to, to make the biggest difference in in people's lives well um when I, uh, I'm officially retired from Penn State University now, uh, I'm an emeritus professor. And when I uh, retired, there's a uh, American cougar, a, a mountain lion, which is a mascot for Penn State University. And I got a little, little statue of the lion that says creativity professor. Um, and I didn't start out to be a creativity professor. I started out to be one of the best physicists in the world who was um, already, you know, in around 1961 or two, going to solve the problem of how to have nuclear fusion at a, at a broad level to solve all kinds of problems. Uh, but I discovered that there were a whole bunch of things I'd never heard about, things in psychology and things in other branches of science. So it didn't take me long before my own fascination and my own passion took me um, in other directions. But I became really interested in, in science and scientific discovery. And I had two teachers at Harvard as an undergraduate who uh, were really interesting. Um, one was um, uh, covering animals, everything about biology of animals. The other one covering everything about biology of plants. But they were both so well informed and they both, you know, they had so many stories. And uh, it stuck with me and one part of that has stuck with me and become very important. The use of narrative, the use of narratives to uh, engage whoever you're trying to teach and to, you know, kind of prepare the ground for what the, the complicated stuff that, that you would like them to learn. But you don't just throw the complicated stuff at them, right? Um, you, you engage them. And it's the only biology course I took because that was in my senior year. I just happened to stumble into that class. But we did individualized experiments in addition to you know all the the lectures right there is a lot of it's a lot all of animal life all of plant life the evolution uh, uh cutting edge experiments that people are doing and one of the things they were doing in paris was transplanting a nuclei between different um, egg cells and one of the things they were discovering you know really early complex genetic uh experiments was that under the right circumstances, under the right mix of conditions, an egg will go ahead and develop with only half of its chromosomes. That was astonishing. It won no Nobel Prize. And we had this, you know, aquarium and various things that we would do to frog eggs. And we had an aquarium and a frog egg that definitely had only half his chromosomes developed into a tadpole that was swimming around, became a large tadpole, and it wasn't gonna make it all the way to frogness. But it showed that a small manipulation of the variables under which that egg was resting could trigger dramatic change, right? Dramatic dynamic change and that's the kind of thing that, you know, I think we should try to do wherever we can when we see a tough problem. Uh, I went on to study psychology, and at first I wasn't even doing anything with kids who had any, you know, desperate need, like kids who can't read, kids with autism, uh, deaf kids. I was just, you know, trained to try to understand how learning takes place, how the mind works, right? and to do experiments. And as we did more and more experiments, I got more and more confident. As I learned more 
most often from my own graduate students and undergraduates about crying needs, like deaf kids generally 20 years ago uh, could hardly read anything when they graduate from high school. And so the kinds of careers they went into were very, very limited because they didn't have the, the literacy. Is that because they have a different kind of brain? Well, they don't have hearing input, the profoundly deaf ones, but they have the right kind of brain for learning, reading and writing, and everything else in school if you have ways of engaging them. And, and so I became kind of a crossover person. I was working in special education. Uh, I was working in communication disorders in a way that was different than most people in those fields. And uh, some of the things that we did really led to dramatic improvements in how those kids would make their progress in, in language or the progress in, in, in literacy. But it's a broader understanding of the processes of fostering creativity, even for very stuck, tough problems that ended up interesting me the most in the end. And that's why I, I started teaching a seminar um, that was focused entirely on creativity and for Penn State undergraduates. It was a psychology course, but I told them in the first session and in the, you know, kind of the description, do you want to take this course? This is what it's going to be like. It's about creativity. So we talked about business. We talked about science. We talked about uh, social crises. We talked about kids learning, of course, I know that, but we talked about art. Why do most kids in art, when they're five or six, draw these primitive little people that look nothing like what a mature artist would do? And I'm looking at you, Mark, and they, they made a picture of you or a picture of me. It, it, would, it would be a kind of a very schematic thing. It wouldn't look at, they, they don't have the communication skill. Why do bright kids? We've learned to talk, and many of them are early readers, right? Why do they have so limited art skills? It's not because they don't have an art brain, and you've got to be just born with an art brain, or you can't. It's because there has to be a process of exposure to art by people who love interacting with you and are reckless enough to show you their art as they're making it. That's how you see you know, kids learn to, to play football, soccer, basketball, you know, whatever. They don't, they don't have to have a basketball brain to learn how to play basketball. <laughs> They've got to plunge in and not be intimidated by people who are amazing, right? And who love, you know, working with them. And so we were able to show that ordinary four-year-olds with very primitive art skills, still very cute to put on your refrigerator, uh, could learn very sophisticated art skills in just a few months if they work with engaged artists who pay attention to the kids, have high positive engagement, have materials and so forth, so it's easy to, once you punch in, to work with a variety of things, then they just race ahead. They're, they're just waiting for someone who's creative and willing to share their own ways of doing things and kids they can do perspective. They can do, you know, someone dancing with another person. They can do they can do anything that a mature artist can do if they keep getting that kind of stuff. Most people still don't believe that that's true because it's catch-22. If you very seldom see a kid who's had that kind of rich exposure in art, you don't believe your own kids can do that, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's very important to realize that we can change expectations. And this is one of the things that the Breakthrough book is about and a lot of collaborative work I'm about, is to try to get people to look at lots of different situations where people who have been stuck become unstuck. And they become dramatically unstuck. They become really good at something that they couldn't do at all basically before and uh, a, a book or the right kinds of movies or workshops you know can expose you rapidly to at least you know the, the core of what happened to someone who recovered from a stroke 
right? Or took off in their music or took off in their startup business. And by thinking about lots of different kinds of situations that you've never been in, there's a good chance that it'll free up your mind to think, well, wait a minute. If, if that could happen for these kinds of reasons, as, as far as we understand, how can I borrow from that and try out my own experiments in my own projects? And I think the thing I love about that the most is it, it creativity, as we said before, sounds like it's sort of out there, ethereal in so many ways. And yet you've managed so beautifully to bring it into the fact, if we take that sort of art um, example, well, the reason we need a broad, balanced curriculum is because we need the exposure to that. So, you know, it, it, it's not a big leap. You know, it's being creative, but being creative because we're now setting a class and we're having teachers and people being able to have the time to teach art, to have the facilities and, and you know, whatever each of those elements might be, whether it's reading, writing, art, music, learning football, like I say, whatever it happens to be. Well, that, that, that's not ethereal. That's just, that makes a lot of sense. The, the creativity, I love in that hand in hand. Well, how are we going to do that? Because we're being told by all these people it has to look a certain way and we have to teach this way and there's not enough time and it's not enough money. There's not all of those things as they go around. <laughs> and and I, I just love that sort of creativity of, of kind of, well, let's find a way. What does that look like? How can we go about that? Because like you say, the more you see these things, we know this isn't the reality of, you know, when you're this age, you're going to draw a stick man, because that's all we can do at that age. We actually have heard the fact that actually, if we get a someone in who can really share their knowledge and understanding and work with them, it can be very different. And if we can do that across the board in lots of different areas and lots of different ways, and we pull the talents out for the people who may not have done it, I'm an, I'm an example of that. We had to do music when I went to my secondary school. I would have never been a musician otherwise. Yeah. Something we had to do, and it opened this world, and I then had the opportunity to kind of follow that through. And so not only is it just about the opportunity, it's also about the fact that there'll be people who thought they could never do it anyway because of their circumstances. You know, I can't read, I have dyslexia, like say, I, I'm, I'm hard of hearing, this isn't the sort of thing I can do. And it's like, well, you can't do it in the way that you thought you could, maybe, because you haven't seen anyone do that. But here are a whole group of other people who are doing different things that you might be able to do. And and those two things together just change the whole dynamic of, of learning in, in, in an instant, really, as long as you like to say, you get enough people thinking in that way to find those solutions. Well, yeah. And uh, uh, going back to a couple of things that we both touched on, if you have someone who's way behind um, in learning something that you think is in important obviously literacy and reading you know for kids but you know other areas as well and you're convinced that you have the right path then sometimes you double down and you give the kids extra homework you have them spend more time right in less and less interesting ways and you get this negative you know uh, cascade where their expectations are accurate <laughs> they haven't been learning and nothing has changed enough and so they expect, and I've, I've seen kids crawl under a table to get away from the input that somebody's trying to, to teach them and so forth. And it's almost like miraculous, you know, to see resources well spent where you have a variety of people who can engage kids and you end up having those people who are engaging particular kids spend more time and they might play music as part of a math class, whatever. Uh, it looks like you're just kind of diddling around. You're wasting time. Come on, get serious here. Get serious. <laughs> They've got a lot of work to do. And if you don't get it done, then we might keep you after school or make, make your work through the summer. Gee, <laughs> quiz, come on. If they did that to me as an adult, you know, I would rebel so strongly. Of course, it's absurd, but it's out of that. It's out of a motive to try to help people, but it's misplaced because human dynamics are complex. And when you tinker with them in whatever way, somebody new that hasn't been in the kid's life is, you know, is better at engaging that kid. Um, you know, some laughter, 
you know, I always say a walk in the woods, a visit to a theater, you know, uh, something that gets the kids talking and thinking about what happened and coming alive and talking. Um, we did a creative uh, kind of a workshop with undergraduates, uh, about to be undergraduates, uh, secondary students who were going to go off almost certainly to study science, engineering, math in some way. And they came to Penn State to do a, a workshop, you know, with us just one morning. And uh, we were three crazy professors. <laughs> and they didn't do anything that looked like a structured talk, uh, you know, a summary of well, what you should do to become a great engineer or anything like that. We had them doing crazy group exercises together, right? Uh, one of the things that they did was uh, early in the workshop was they took off one shoe and they threw that shoe up onto the stage. And then a little bit later, um, then everybody went up on the stage and they were wearing one shoe, of course, and they held up, <laughs> they, they grab a shoe and they say, whose shoe is this? <laughs> so it was a, a random assortment of, of which particular group of shoes and therefore the people ended up working together. And there was one African-American woman um, who ended up being the leader of her group because she was encouraged, everybody was encouraged, just throw out, she threw out an idea that the group responded to. And she ended up being the leader. And she said, I've never talked in a group like this before. I've never, I've never <laughs> talked at all in a group like this before. New dynamics, right? New things coming together. And you discover that you have something to say. And oh my gosh, other people are interested in what you have to say. And, and then when we get talking with me as a leader, hey, we actually create, you know, something right there. Well, anytime you can get that, but the, 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 what seems absurd to so many people is that um, you couldn't possibly spend quite a bit of your time on just making the process enjoyable and personable and relating to what the person who comes in to learn something already knows, right? But, but you, less is more, less concentration on the particular challenges you hope eventually to be, you know, mastered and much more on the dynamic human process. It just pays off again and again and again. And it really sort of strikes me that it, how, how chalk and cheese it is, but yet how it interlinks it is. <laughs> it's, no. that sort of, it's that kind of, you know, if you went into any classroom and said, okay, so what we want you to do is to throw all your shoes onto the stage or into the front of the room. It's like, you know, anyone observing that class would be like, kind of, okay, this isn't really what's meant to happen in the classroom. <laughs> right. But yet, but, but yet it's such a, it's such an, an easy, obvious act, which changes the entire dynamic that the results are, you know, like I said, chalk and cheese to what they would have been before. And it doesn't affect anything apart from, the reality of the creativity but the reality of what the outcomes are going to be because of the interaction and but it's so hard isn't it i think to get that across which is why i love the work that you're doing and, and these stories that you're able to tell because it, well, it I, you've got I, the freedom to do it it just makes such, such a big difference well you know it's it's human energy and and uh of course not just a little positive energy right but you know really being alive being passionate being delighted and excited by the things that emerge dynamically when people are really engaged and where there are serious challenges. So there are things, you know, that really should be addressed and that, that people should try to solve and that they have a chance of doing if you get the energy. I've just thought of a new metaphor out of this uh, really interesting conversation <laughs> with you, Mark, which is imagine that you've got um, uh, um, some kind of carriage that the horses are gonna draw for you know some kind of fair or whatever. And you've got eight horses out in the pasture and you're gonna hook them up. And once you get them hooked up, you've got you know a driver who knows what he's doing. And off you go, you go out to the pasture 
and all the horses are just lying down. And they're looking at you with a lazy eye, right? <laughs> they know what they can do. And working together, they can create some amazing spectacles. But until you energize those horses, right? Until they trust you to go ahead with them, it's stuck. All that energy, all that capacity, all those skills that are there, including the collaborative skills, are dormant. So in a way, what we want to do in situations where we know that things are not working very well is to wake everybody up and to have creative experiments which lead to more creative experiments which lead to more creative experiments so even though we don't know where it's going to go initially we discover what's working and then we stay with it as long as it continues to work right so success can be very dangerous right because if we're not careful then what we've gradually discovered by working hard and creatively and openly, we may say, well, let's lock that baby in. We'll just do it that way forever. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And I'm sure you've seen, if you, if you play with other people, musical uh, collaborations that work wonderfully up to a point. But everybody keeps changing. And the musical world keeps changing. I'm put, trying to put words in your mouth, but can you say something about how that might happen? Yeah, I think absolutely. It really is a sense of there's something about, well, it's everything we've been speaking about. It's about the energy and the interaction of of the people that are there doing it. And that has a different energy each time. And so it's very easy within a certain group of people, you work together in a certain intuitive way, if you know, it could even get to that that stage. But then, like I say, it may be that you've got a different number of players for a different type of music, or it might be that it's just one or two people who are suddenly not available, and then they bring somebody else in. And then all of a sudden, their their thought process, or even their not thinking process <laughs> when it comes to music, <laughs> right, right. Kind, kind of kicks in. And so therefore, your reaction is going to be different. So first of all, it's that kind of Ah, uh, but it's not quite as good as it was before because we just had this nailed exactly like you said we're going to do it the same way but because of the nature of music and the nature of the way these things are it has to be different because we've got a different person in so therefore it's never going to be as good until you go okay so it's not going to be the same but let's see where it goes and then it can be it doesn't even have to be better or worse but it's different and with that comes the uniqueness of that that we're talking about i think because then like you say each classroom can look different each interaction can get different the difference between this tutor and that child is going to be different from the same tutor and a different child and that just brings the whole thing together and then you become you, you become supported by the change and i think then you've got a um a continual rolling program which is happy and supportive even though it's going to look different and you're happy to walk in that path rather than like you say trying to find that magic bullet and i know that's so hard in education because there's so much accountability that it takes really brave people to be able to do that but it's why i love the podcast and so i, I love being able to chat with you yeah, today yeah. because we're hearing what that looks like and how it can be done in such a positive manner well yeah well i mean it's it's kind of reassuring if you have a formula for working with with a kid in language delay certain exercises you go through or certain things uh in teaching anything and you go through your checklist then you know okay i've, I've done my checklist i i i i know that i provided something that could be learned but uh it can be completely wasted if you don't have the engagement and another thing that I think we haven't quite touched on is, again, self-concept. If you painfully learn some math or some science or some writing in school, uh, but it's not really engaging, you're not really getting high respect for people who are really good at it, you're not eager to be like them, that's so different. You, we can kind of think of collateral. What 
else are you learning, changing in your attitudes and expectations as a result of the kind of episodes that you're encountering, right? And many people have talked about, Howard Gardner is one of them, um, about the way in which, for many kids, curiosity and creativity tends to go down with our traditional schooling over time. So kids at four who love exploring more than kids at 11 or 12 or 13, right? And so if we think about, well, not only can we achieve the kind of area learning, learning about particular domains that we want. But can we think about, are we building the kind of person who is concerned about other people, who's curious about the world, who actively explores, and because of their active exploration again and again, you know, they're going to be self-teachers because of the style in which they are living their days and their weeks and months, right? And so it's unleashing those patterns of behavior and thinking and exploration that, you know, far exceed for a kid's life or an adult's life, what they're going to learn from particular pieces of educational, you know, enterprises. That we want, we want to build people and we build those kinds of people including concern for other people, concern with collaboration, then a lot of the things in societies that we get, you know, pretty despaired about, you know, have a much better chance of being worked out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what, what a great way to wrap up because I think it really is such an amazing arc of what we've talked about and I, and I just really appreciate your time and your expertise in this and I think it's painted such a beautiful picture of of all of those important aspects that people can think about take away and and collaboratively come up with what's going to work for the, the the children in their lives so do please just um tell people where they can find out more because I'm sure there'll be many questions and, and things that people um, want to engage with as well so where's the best place for them to to find out more and get involved well what would you like me to tell yeah. Tell them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, as far as the book uh, Breakthroughs goes, then you can find it uh, in ebook and uh, as a paperback on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, worldwide through you know uh, certain distributors. Um, I've also written a book called Bobcat Magic, which is specifically uh, about amazing but true stories of things that happen in nature, some of them with kids, uh, and photographs of nature. Um, and again, the idea in that book, as in the idea of breakthroughs is, you can kind of virtually encounter a bunch of things that other people have experienced that, that really uh, have uh, brought about their passion and awareness and brought about passionate new paths in life and have brought about a new spirit of their own creativity and their confidence in their, their uh, you know, creative possibilities in anything that they really, really put their heart and their time for learning in. Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I would also add to that is we've got to be, you know, realistic about our own experience. And if we encounter people who really bring us alive and help us learn new things and help us connect with new people, we want to be sure that we make time in our lives, you know, to pursue those people when they come into our lives. And, and if we encounter people who don't, you know, really appreciate who we are and who don't have confidence in, we need to be we need to be ruthless in a way. We need to make sure that we're not letting ourselves drift into spending time with people who don't recognize our precious spark of creativity, our, our special uniqueness. We've, we've, we've got to, you know, make, make sure that we do the best to spend our time in places and with people who are most supportive of us. Beautiful. 
that's fantastic keith thank you so much indeed i could chat all day and, 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 I'm, <laughs> sure, and i'm sure there's so many other areas we could go into but i really appreciate your time and and sharing all that wisdom with us and i think there are so many takeaways from people but certainly my biggest takeaway is that it's a real kind of sign just to really focus on who you are what's important build those communities build those people around you like I say spend the time with the people that are going to be supportive and helpful and enjoy those collaborations so yeah Keith thank you well, so much indeed well, well, well thank you so much I really really enjoyed it and uh, uh, I've learned a lot from you I think it's a matter of sharing stories and perspectives it's not so much about how much wisdom there is <laughs> it's about making sure that we share the things that we are aware of and help other people discover new, you know, new pathways and new patterns. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much indeed. Take care now. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.